Yeah, it's Buku One here. One thing I know, every good podcast deserves its own theme song. Oh, for sure. And this one most definitely deserves its own theme song. We changing the game on the name, put respect. Uncle Dad talks, yeah, live and direct. What did you expect from the two fly guys? One love Kevin Smith, one or more is Golden Eye. Mike's the level-headed, baby gave edits. Uncle Dad gets nervous all the time, but to his credit, he's clever. Spring stuff on Mike on a daily. can mangle up a name amazingly. The range of events and topics makes it hard to stop listening. So why even attempt it? From bare knuckle fighting to Grammy songwriting to Burning Man flames. To firefighter video games and many, many more than I could put in a verse. Just subscribe, tune in to Uncle Dad's Multiverse. And many, many more than I could put in one verse. Just subscribe, tune in to Uncle Dad's Multiverse. Yes. You heard it first here. Show did. Tion Buku 1, aka Mr. Generous. Live and direct. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Uncle Dad Talks. I'm Uncle Dan and with me as always is the ever so handsome, the ever so young, the ever so beautiful, Mike Hampton. Mike, what's up? Hello, 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 hello. What do you think about that? Wow. I, that, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want to tell you how, how good it made me feel. I bet you didn't think I was going to do that, did you? Actually, I did. Oh, <laughs> Intuition. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> You must, you must be listening to the universe. <laughs> oh, I like that little reference. Um, mm. Of course, we are here uh, for another episode of Uncle Dad Talks. It's been a while, I guess, actually, yeah, it's been a while since we've done this. We had an awesome Trivia Olympics episode that was so much fun. If you haven't heard that yet, please go and listen to that one that was presented by our sponsor at the time, Tabula Sono. So please check that episode out. You can find it on all your streaming platforms. But Mike, today's guest is a pretty big one, I would say. It's it's it was it's a amazing conversation we're about to have. I'm very excited about it. And uh, just if you want to really quickly, Mike, give us a quick uh, introduction to this uh, guest. Yeah, this guest um, I've I've met uh, a few years back. He's done 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 a lot of writing. Um, most notably, he wrote wrote and uh, was one of the creators for the workaholics which everyone everyone loves the workaholics right you love it right oh yes i do yeah so workaholics he's worked on he's worked for beats by dre he's worked on warner hbo uh his name is connor pritchard and i'm super excited to talk to him he's he's a great writer i just have a feeling that the conversation is going to be great so i'm really looking forward to it yeah, me too. I think it's going to be a blast and a good time. And before we hand it over to that interview, to where we go over, we got a new sponsor, Mike. Are you ready for this new sponsor? Wait, no. Wait, wait. Okay, now I'm ready. That's right. Our latest sponsor is uh, actually kind of what connects me and Mike together all the time. It's Riverside.fm. Uh, Riverside.fm is basically the, in my opinion, the number one way to do podcasting virtually. If you haven't heard, our quality has improved so much. Uh, and the reason being is because this software basically kind of it enhances the audio during the actual record or the recording session. So as it finishes, it has studio quality quality without trying to do much. Uh, you can record video, you can record audio, you can record uh, live streaming. You can actually live stream straight from this program to Facebook and Twitter. 
It is an incredible program. And the best part is, Mike, do you want to know what the best part is? Yes. <laughs> Our listeners can save $10 off their first month subscription. All you got to do is go to Riverside.fm, sign up, whatever plan you choose, we'll get you 10 bucks off. And that's it. And the plans start at $9. So do you know what that means, Mike? What does that mean, Uncle Dad? That means you technically can start for free. Uh, find the program or find the plan that fits the best for you at Riverside.fm. I love Riverside a lot. I can talk about it all day. Uh, but Mike, just kind of tell us what your thoughts about Riverside are. Yeah, I mean, I definitely noticed a huge improvement from when we were doing our interviews over Zoom because, you know, we always can't sit down in the same room together living in different places and having guests from all over the place come on the show. So I really enjoy the, the quality uh, that we have here. Uh, I'm totally down. And just, just to reiterate, what is there a code that we use? That's right. All you got to do when you sign up is use code Uncle Dad. That's it. All lowercase, all uppercase. It doesn't matter. Just Uncle Dad, and you will get ten bucks off. Uh, this seriously is like a great program. Like I'm not just selling that, saying that to say that to you. Like I know Mike really agrees. Like this program is incredible. So please, if you're interested, in, and, and not even just podcasting, but if you're interested in just doing even meetings, you know, conferencing, like it's great just for that. Like it is a great tool and asset. So Riverside.fm, go check them out. Uh, we really appreciate it, and use promo code Uncle Dad to save ten bucks off. Now, without further ado, me and Mike will be right back after this music break. All right, everybody, we are back. Uncle Dad and Mike here. Uh, Mike, go ahead and introduce our guest again. Who this lovely human is? Yes, this lovely human that has joined us uh, today is is a writer, producer. Um, he's written and produced for Comedy Central. He's worked uh, as, a, as a writer with uh, Beats by Dre, Warner Media, HBO, all kinds of fun stuff. Mr. Connor Pritchard, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. This is, I'm very excited about this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. We're, uh, we're really excited to have you, too. Right, Uncle Dad? Yeah. He's, he's very he's excited. Oh, sure. He's for sure. Notes. Especially he's knowing what you worked on. Yeah. <laughs> I am taking notes, actually. I have my notes here, so relax. (laughs) Um, I'm usually not prepared, Connor. That's the problem. (laughs) That's right. You get by on charm, so you get a great laugh. Thank thank you. (laughs) uh, Mike's mom thinks so, too. (laughs) Whoa. Actually, she does. She she actually really does. That's true. She says... She listens to the show. Um, Yes. So, Connor... (laughs) So, so yeah. So, you're a writer... um, and we'll get into some of the stuff you've written. Uh, but first, I want to talk about I, I like how how you become a writer and what that path is like for you. Um, you know, I did a little bit of research on you other than just what I know from 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 vaguely knowing you over the years. Um, so your father was a comedian and was doing stand-up comedy, right? And yeah, so I grew up, we, yeah, grew up in a comedy family. What was? And so what's that like? So your, your dad's a, he was a stand-up comedian in, in where, in L.A.? Or where does it start for him? Yeah, his, the, the whole family story is, is pretty fun. Uh, someday I'm going to write a David Sedaris book about it. But my pops was, the quick story is that he was a juvenile probation officer in St. Louis, like working in inner city. 
And he was kind of ringing up so much of this raw emotion dealing with inner city families and kids that he needed some kind of outlet. So he started performing and doing this. He's kind of a clean comic, like he never cursed or anything. So, but he told real kind of stories. So he'd get up on stage and talk about working with kids. And it was the comedy at that time, like late seventies, early eighties was so unique. So he took off pretty quickly and then kind of outgrew the St. Louis comedy scene, moved to San Francisco where he was still working as a probation officer and then performing. And then there's a iconic, famous, but now defunct comedy club uh, called the Holy City Zoo, which was super famous. And all of these comedians got their start there. And my mom was a talent booker there and that's how they met. Um, so I grew up with my pops and mom and dad were very good friends with Robin Williams and he was like an uncle to me. So I grew up in that world in the back of a comedy club. And Robin's oldest son, Zach, and I were kind of the first kids born into this world. So we were like comedians were our babysitters. And like I, my siblings ended up going off to have normal lives, but someone had to go into the family business. And I kind of took after my mom because she was just really good at organizing super creative people. And I'm not funny, like I could tell a good story, but I was just organized. So that's how I kind of carved my path into entertainment was just finding talent and building a playground for them and being organized and being kind of like their coach. Can, yeah. can I just say, it reminds me a lot of Polly Shore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who I've... <laughs> Right in the height of COVID, uh, my wife and I were walking around the Civil Lake Reservoir and we, like trying times, we were in a huge couples fight, kind of in a big argument. And Polly Short rode up on his bike, unannounced, and was just like, hey guys, you got to be good to each other. Gave us a peace sign and just drove away, <laughs> or just pedaled away. <laughs> and my wife and I were like, that just only happens in LA. And we just, the fight was immediately over because Polly Short stopped us. <laughs> You can't yeah. fight but if a lot like, Shore yeah. throws you the peace sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did he do his, like, what is it, the, uh, hey, yeah. buddy? <laughs> he was so nice, but he had, like, a good energy, and he, like, clearly saw that we were into it and just came up and uh, put a stop to it really quickly. But, yeah, uh, I did. His mom was a comedy legend. I, I think, I don't know mm -hmm. if she passed. I think she did. Yeah. She did pass. She did yeah. pass. But, yeah. yeah, I grew up, like, a lot like him, but in the San Francisco world. So better. Yeah. It was all the alt comedy. So comedy at that time in early 80s, San Francisco was like just, they were rock star gods. And VHS hasn't come, hadn't come along yet. And VHS really disrupted the comedy industry because comedians stopped putting their best sets like in live uh, performances and started saving them to, to sell on VHS. So before VHS, like it was, you could go out every night, see a different show. They were all, can I, can we talk about drugs and his swear and everything? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah they're obvious. Please, they please. So. Yeah. <laughs> please. We, we love yeah. drugs. <laughs> they wow. were all, you know, coke to the gills and just <laughs> performing all night. And they would shut uh, the Holy City Zoo down and close it off. And then the comedians would perform into the, well into the morning just for each other so it's an epic epic time in comedy and um 
Yeah, I, I just I grew up with so many amazing characters. You mentioned obviously Robin Williams. What can you can you give like a, a, a story, an interaction that you had with him? I mean, he's obviously one of the one of the greatest of all time in com- in comedy, you know, and acting, yeah. right? Uh, such a treasure yeah. that we lost, obviously. But yeah, he he was special, you know. Growing up with him, like you realize some some. I mean, there's some amazing experiences, and you realize like some dark stuff too where it's like you walk into a restaurant with him and someone that that is that famous changes the entire dynamic of a room and so it to me like growing up around someone who is that famous made me never want to be famous like you walk into a place and everyone stops and looks and starts talking or whispering and it's bizarre but he was just such a special person and I think my favorite memories of of my dad and Robin had a charity in our hometown of Marin County where they would get special ed or special needs people. The, they were called the seals and they made them basketball uniforms and they would go collect them and we would play against them in a, in a basketball game like every other week. So watching my dad, who's like, he looks exactly like John Goodman. He's a giant or very big people. But my dad and Robin playing with special needs kids and playing basketball and doing voices was just like he did so much charity work that people don't know about. Flew to Iraq constantly to perform for the troops like he was just nonstop helping people. Yeah, so. I mean, that's really cool. That's, I mean, so cool that you got to, to grow up with him. And it's interesting, as, as amazing as a, as a comedian and how, how much everyone loved him, he felt so threatened by, by Jim Carrey, of all people, which was I always thought was an interesting part of his, his story, right? Like, he felt like Jim was trying to take a spot, and maybe some of that was the media doing that. Like, Jim Carrey's the next big thing, and it just shows how fragile, even though how he might have looked to to the public as this this, this funny guy. He, he still was pretty fragile, obviously, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think all artists are sensitive people at the end of the day. And, you know, I've spent so much of my life in comedy, around comedians, making comedy, writing comedy shows. And it, it, envy is such a huge part of that world, and you can't um, escape it. Like, it's a small world, and people are very envious of who's getting ahead, who's getting what, and... There's so much compare and contrast, so it's hard. And when I work with comedians, I really try to get them away from that because uh, it's just not helpful to anyone. But it happens at every level, up and coming to established A-list stars. Mm-hmm. So, were you ever at a point where you got to go, like, actually sit in the crowd and watch your dad do his routine? Yeah. So he. And his story gets fascinating because in San Francisco, they had this um, it was the San Francisco comedy competition, which was like if you won that, it was like a blood sport for com- for comedians in the 80s. And they would go head to head and there was judges. So he won that, I think, in 81. And then he got signed to this is I was still I wasn't even born yet, but he got signed to uh NBC or ABC with David Letterman. So they gave him like a huge, at that time, big lucrative contract. And he had just met my mom and he had just quit drinking. And so he was sober. And then he went down to LA and LA, Hollywood in the eighties was just 
fucking sex, drugs, rock and roll, cocaine in the boardrooms, and he couldn't, he couldn't do it. So he did a few pilots. He did some stuff that we bring up every holiday and we watch on YouTube, which are like horrible, <laughs> horrible, like uh, B-movie action ones and, you know, some episodes of Taxi. But then this guy, Chris Albrecht, who used to be the CEO of HBO, is now the CEO of Stars, was his agent at the time, was like, Mike, you're you're like a good person and Hollywood is going to destroy you. So is there anything else that you wanted, would want to do? And he was like, yeah, I love working with kids. So he basically turned his contract down, gave the money back, moved back to the Bay Area and started teaching kids about bullying and social emotional learning. So he, he turned... He turned his back on Hollywood, which is probably the best thing he, he could have done because it does destroy mm-hmm. people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we see lots of stories where it does. I mean, totally. And and, and that's where your, your parents met. So your mom was, was managing the comedy club where he was, was working at, right? Yeah, she was. I think she was managing, bartending, talent booking with one of her best friends, um, Rebecca, who ended up becoming Robin's personal assistant for 30 plus years. So that was like our kind of little family. My godparents uh, and everyone came out of the Holy City Zoo. And Robin broke first and became a household name on Mork and Mindy and then would come back to the Holy City Zoo and perform. And But it was like, you know, I have photos of myself with like Ellen DeGeneres and Dana Carvey started there. And even like Kevin Spacey was doing comedy way back in the day there. And uh, Rob Schneider was like the young, the new kid on the block. Um, So all, all of the San Francisco comedians started there. And then some truly weird, you know, ones that didn't ever make it mainstream, but are some of the funniest people I've ever met people like Stephen Pearl. Have you ever seen Stephen Pearl perform? Yeah, he's no, no, yeah no. was a classic San Francisco comedian. But yeah, fascinating world and and book worthy, right? Like I need to do a documentary or a book at some point. Yeah. Yes, yes, <laughs> for sure you do. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm thinking. Yeah, it's almost a shame you didn't have like a, one of those old VHS camcorders on your shoulder, just like taping all the stuff that was going on. You know. I guess hindsight, but so you, you, did yeah. you try to do comedy at all? Was, was that like your first no, I, step into writing was, was comedy? No. Yeah. I, I knew like performing to me is like almost like an addiction. Like when I see people that are really good at performing, it's something that they like have to do. They have to get up on stage. They have to bring their life out and process it in front of people. And I never had that, desire to uh, perform or to be in front of people i'm much better kind of organizing things behind the scenes so when i started my career in la um adam divine was a ticket taker at the la improv and (laughs) we met him and my my whole entrance into hollywood is just as crazy we can get into that if we have time but um I met Adam and he was like, Hey, the LA improv will, will give us a slot at midnight. If, um, we can start packing the house and my best friend and I, one of the other co-creators of workaholics was we were party planners. So we were doing like huge events. We had a huge network. So we started doing a midnight comedy show. And then I think our third one, uh, I can't remember her name, but the LA improv manager who has been there forever, 
she like walks up to us and we're about to go start setting up and she's like you little lucky motherfuckers you are never gonna believe who's in the green room <laughs> she's like come with me so we walk back and Chappelle is back there just smoking a cigarette <laughs> he, he was coming back from visiting his wife's family in the Philippines and this is post his Comedy Central deal um, so he was like this elusive you know uh, Bigfoot that no one had seen and he ended up doing our show performing till 6am and it just felt like that was like I had a great conversation with him he was so kind and so for that level of celebrity so engaging and interested in people who were up and coming in the comedy game and it just felt like once we had that going we just our little what would become the Workaholics crew was unstoppable we just like we felt like we had been knighted wow. by you know Merlin Gandalf <laughs> sure just, we we had the magic that's that's incredible yeah wow yeah yeah so let's let's uh let's talk about workaholics because that's I mean uh, yeah. so many people so many friends of mine love that show I love that show um you know so okay. how does that how does that uh Tell us, did you, tell us how that starts yeah, for uh, you. I mean, every, you know, it's such this, a great show. Yeah. This is almost like if I read a follow-up book, uh, <laughs> this, this would be good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, okay. I, I guess to back up and go over the overview is I did grow up with kind of like the devil angel uh, archetype, you know, the devil and angel on your shoulder. Mm. So my pops mm. being the angel who's like, very good human being and now on the flip side of that his brother uh my uncle is pretty much evil incarnate so uh i have to set that up because he becomes a part of the story so uh dominic and i was the other workaholics co-creator he was on the road selling barbara streisand artwork he was on tour with her like as a roadie for barbara streisand and then he calls me he's like hey i know you're gonna do the film and tv stuff I just never want to have a real job. Can I, you know, uh, come move in with you in Hollywood and we can figure this out. Then we meet Adam. We start doing these comedy shows. I meet the rest of the workaholics troupe. Two of them are from the Bay area, Kyle and Blake. And so we hit it off immediately, have tons in common. And we just like the crew was kind of formed and we had to figure out how we were going to all break in together. So then my uncle, um, was he took over a porn studio um a former porn studio <laughs> out in chatsworth mm. <laughs> chatsworth california out in the valley the where devil. like boogie nights was set <laughs> right uh, uh right next to the biggest dildo factory in the world not joking uh <laughs> so <laughs> wait what was the porn industry again? i'm gonna write it down chat yeah <laughs> chatsworth california um really mm -hmm. interesting place so he took over uh, <laughs> the studio um, where they were shooting all these uh, porn films there, but then the internet basically killed the like classic DVD porn business. So he started a production mm -hmm. company in this massive like Costco-sized facility, and he was basically running a boiler room. Um, so he was getting salespeople to come in and basically raise money for a company and for a film that they had no intention of shooting. And you can actually see all this on an episode of American Greed. Um, if you type in Gigapix American Greed, like this is where I started my career, like squatting 
in the weight room of this old porn studio with like alien sets like in the background <laughs> like crazy shit so i borrowed seven thousand dollars from him and who knows where that money came from and <laughs> we shot the web series uh, that became workaholics in that old porn studio in chatsworth and we shot it with those guys on the weekends we were all kind of production assistants or you know doing these little odd jobs blake was delivering sandwiches and we just had a little bit of a budget to string this kind of like cool little web series together threw it up online and when we got contacted by comedy central there was only like two or three hundred hits so yeah point being is like it didn't go viral didn't make a ton of noise but the right person saw it and kind of brought us in and so much of selling things in Hollywood is timing. And we just brought, we presented something at the right time, at the right place, at the right people. Boom. We got swept up into the machine and went from like, you know, six guys making fun stuff on the weekends to multi-million dollar, you know, series with a hundred people on set. It was crazy, crazy time. And uh, to cap this, uh, right, right as we were, getting the series order FBI started investigating my uncle arrested him threw him in jail <laughs> oh my yeah. man the, so, so the devil went to jail yeah <laughs> the devil went to jail yeah he's uh he's out oh. now he's still in the film business in some capacity uh I haven't talked to him for man, years we need him on the Yo, show he is so so high le- he's like wolf of wall street level genius like he's the most interesting person you'll ever meet <laughs> in your awesome. life that's incredible yeah. to hear well wow. <laughs> yeah um but uh yeah so we uh didn't get contacted by the fbi because we weren't really working at his company we were just using an office space there and yeah we kind of just he went away and we went on to make a show <laughs> right that's <laughs> so book worthy too right <laughs> Yes. I mean, yeah. So what's it like when, all right, you, you haven't been doing your web show that long. It gets swooped up. Like what's the, what's that feeling like for you? Like, I imagine it's surreal that it happens so fast, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, I've, now that I've been in the Hollywood game for so long, I now understand how lucky I got, um, how lucky we all got very young. And it was the second thing that I worked on that was like a, finished project and it was crazy i mean you it's it's crazy the amount of money that goes into these budgets and making these shows and the amount of people and the divisions like legal teams marketing teams and it requires so much collaboration at such a high level and you know there's there's good and bad parts too it's kind of like it was like the Wizard of Oz curtain being pulled back. Like, oh, hey, you're 26 years old. You sold a show. You want to know how Hollywood works? Here it is, you know? And there's you get into that kind of high-level politics stuff, the business side of the entertainment business, and kind of learn as you go. Um, so it was fascinating. Um, I kind of grew up working on it and learned a lot and met a ton of, you know, insanely talented people who have all gone off to great careers and... It was a wild ride. So when you're writing on a show, I mean, I imagine it's very different when you're writing it as an internet show, you know, 
as opposed to a big time show on Comedy Central, is there is it like a a writing room where you all sit at a big table and, and throw a bunch of ideas out there and then hash it out as you go? Is that kind of how you guys would do it? Yeah, I mean, uh, TV, the creative process is pretty structured. Like we use the same formulas over and over again. And then you have a, do you guys know what a showrunner is? Yeah, so showrunner is like the highest level writer producer on a show. Yeah, and so you right. get up like appointed a showrunner that's kind of running the room. And writers' rooms are getting smaller now because the model is shifting. But I, I think we had like eight, ten people in there. So it's this like wild room, and everyone's super caffeinated and interesting. And you're kind of fighting for space and time and fighting to get your ideas in there. So it's super fun. It's like organized chaos. But you, the process basically is like you kind of come in and you pitch ideas that could become an episode. And then, then you do what we call breaking story. Like you get down like core structural beats for an episode and you do some kind of brainstorming and then a writer will go off to write that outline, bring it back to the room, you punch it up, you get a few days to like get it down in a Word doc and then you get appointed that script and you go off for a week to write it. So when you're in a room, you got to move really fast. You got seven to 10 days to write a first draft of a script, which are like 30 pages and it's it's intense it moves quick it's but it's very well structured and it's it's the most fun that you can have like you're just dying laughing every day and getting paid for it so it's it's the best it's a, one of the hardest jobs in the world to get but it's one of the best jobs and, and some of the guys that are on the show is there a lot of room for improv for them to kind of just throw their own little you know pieces into what you guys have written and that's okay yeah, that was actually one of the most humbling parts about working with those guys. It was like the writers, because they were in the writer's room and we would spend, you know, like stay up till midnight trying to come up with like perfect jokes and like crafting the perfect arc to a scene and, you know, peppering it with comedy. And you would bring that script to set and they would improv something that was a hundred times better. <laughs> so you're just kind of left with this like ah oh, like these guys are just really talented and I, I'll do my best to try and deliver a blueprint for these you know guys to play around in but they they just had such a natural chemistry and I think it's part of the reason why a lot of comedy is struggling now um, because the casting it, it's all casted right like like the reason always sunny works is because they were friends before they like started that process together they have a shared history and inside jokes and there's intimacy to their creativity. And it was the same with our guys, like the dudes, three of them lived together and we shot the show at the house where they lived. So we would come, they would come, the crew would come, wake them up in their own beds, throw them into their trailers and start lighting the set. And <laughs> it was so funny. They went through this whole process to try and find a house that was better for like young kids and they were like no your your house is it so i think you could actually rent it on airbnb now it's like a <laughs> yeah <Whoa. laughs> and oh it's probably I, booked I out for some time. Too, but, yeah. yeah but the the show is being rebooted and coming back as well whoa yeah. <laughs> are you so behind are you? that uh not yeah not creatively on this round um just detached gotcha. in a producer creator capacity but um i think it's been announced so i think i could talk about it but another platform is bought, <laughs> is buying the rights and 
doing a movie to a new version of the series. I'm pretty sure I know what platform that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't say anything, but I, I think, think I know. <laughs> I think it's out. I think it's been announced, but yeah. Do you want to take a guess? If, I have not, not heard that, so that's like pretty mind-blowing right now. If if not, yeah. he, we, you heard it here exclusively on Uncle Dad Talks, right? Uh, uh, uh-huh. is coming back. We, we're going to get... Uh, well, there you that? go. Exclusive right there. What's <laughs> What do you have while we're yeah. talking about workaholics? Wait, do you Uncle have Dad a talks? favorite? Oh, yeah. Do you have a favorite episode that you that you uh, were the writer on, Connor? Uh, well, I just have such a fond place in my heart for the first one because it was such a collaborative effort, and the the here's why. I mean, there's a weird, stupid reason why, but the title of our pilot was called piss and shit right <laughs> so when you are a tv writer and you work on episodes you get these like royalty checks have you ever seen like a entertainment royalty check so when it gets when a, a show gets run through the system of you know airing on different networks or platforms you get royalty checks and they kind of dwindle over time but i still to this day like get a check that says piss and shit on it. <laughs> it's so fun <laughs> to go <laughs> to go to the bank. You know, they're down, they're very low now, but it's still fun to go to the bank and just slide a piss and shit check across the cashier and be like, yep, yeah, I'll have my $18. <laughs> yeah. So, it, I mean, there's, there's a lot of them. And, and, oh, and, and that one too, I think we, we had to get because we spoofed Die Hard, which is special to you, I know, Mike. But we had to. Um, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, <laughs> we had to get. Uh, I think we had to get Bruce Willis's camp to okay some of the lines, and we were like waiting early in the process to like have Bruce Willis give us the like official thumbs up, and we got it, and felt like another Chappelle moment. We're like, yeah, we are, we are blessed. Wow. Blessed by John McClain himself. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, wow. and, and so you worked on, on workaholics and then what, what, what was the next step for you moving on from, from something, I mean, something so successful and fun and it's such a following everyone, everyone loved it. How do you step away from something like that and, and, and go to something new? Well, um, I got offered to do these these two other guys that I know, they're writers and producers, sold this aerobics show um, off a of pitch. And then they brought me on board to kind of write the pilot and be the showrunner. So that's like the golden ticket in Hollywood is becoming a showrunner. It's very hard to get those offers. And it's something that I've always wanted. It's what I've been building my career towards. So I got the opportunity to go be a showrunner on this smaller aerobics show that was on Pop TV. Yeah actually a fantastic cast um christian metopolis who's from silicon valley who plays russ hanneman is one of the funniest people i've ever met in my life and matt jones who is badger on breaking bad and jane seymour who is a a legend she still calls me every once in a while it's just bizarre to get a call from her but she's fantastic and um so we, we went up to Canada and we made this kind of aerobic show and definitely had some challenges, uh, you know, trying to make a comedy show on in Nova Scotia, uh, in Halifax, on an island four yeah, time saw, zones away. <laughs> I saw that that that, that yeah. show was, was shot up there and I lived up there for a short amount of time too in Halifax. 
Did you really? You yeah. lived in Halifax? I did. Man, you have. I did. You have lived everywhere. Why were you? Did in you Halifax? um? Did you? Well, I mean, of course, it was about a yeah, girl. Yeah, ask him but... why. <laughs> yeah, got it. <laughs> that was this girl. <laughs> um, but interesting, like I, I mean, poutine, uh, bear claws. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed Halifax, other than it was cloudy, cold, and rainy most of the whole time I was there. But um, did you run into the trailer park boys at all while you were up there? You know, everyone talks like that. Uh, like with that, those yeah. thick accents. And that was part of the problem. Like we're trying to cast, you know, supporting cast members and bartenders and the show is supposed to take place in the United States. But there's like, by the end of that show, I had a list of like 80 words that I couldn't put into scripts because it would be an immediate tell that they're from Canada. So no sorries, no abouts. <laughs> like you had to be <laughs> very careful with what you yeah. put into your words. So it was really fun. I think, I mean, the crew was fantastic and I loved Halifax, um, but it's good for a horror movie or a Stephen King story. Not if you're making like a glossy comedy because there's just honestly not that much talent up there to cast to help you build your world. Um, when you make a comedy show, every layer needs to be funny. Every person in it needs to be funny. And when you can't cast your friends that are kind of known comedians, it's, it's an uphill battle. So, yeah, wait, I've been through the Canadian cool, cool. wait, wait, What year were you there? What, were you in Halif- what year were you in Halifax doing that? 2017-18. Were you there? Okay, so that was a lot later. Yeah. No, no. I would, that would have been yeah. funny, though, if we were both there. I was there a few years before. Yeah. yeah. I loved it, though. Uh, Except, yeah, you. I did make a, like, because I almost hit a moose up there, and I made a joke about it. And then the crew was like, oh, no, you, you don't joke about that up here. We, like, we lose a friend every year because the, the moose, like, people hit them on the highway, and they're so big. It's not like a deer where you go over it. You go, it goes right through your windshield. So it's like a big issue up there that you don't joke about. <laughs> so it's like everyone had yeah. a, a, a moose horror story. <laughs> it's very lumberjacky. Yeah, very much. Um, I think I was there. It was, it was the, it was the longest, coldest, wettest summer they ever had. So I was there from like the dead of winter into a summer. I was there for a little over half a year. And the, the interesting thing was when it actually did get sunny and warm, since it's so cold and rainy most of the time, when the sun comes out, it's like everyone is on ecstasy everywhere you go. And everyone is so happy and nice. And it's like, that's I don't know, that was like one of the happiest places on earth when it was like that. Yeah, I, I could see that. People really appreciate good weather there. Like they would go out and about. I mean, you see that in some cities when it warms up. But I, yeah, I had a very minimal amount of free time there. But like when I did go out, it was so fun. They had like one of those axe throwing bars. Have you been to one of those? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. so fun. Yeah. yeah, they had they had great stuff to do up there. Yeah. Those are those are definitely trending out here now. Yeah, hipster <laughs> axe throwing. Yeah, yeah. The hipster axe. Let's throw yeah. a hipster. How about that? <laughs> so, so is the show that you were working on? Can you can you see that anywhere now? Like, is that still available to be watched? I would watch that. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. I mean, we did our best given the constraints, but um, 
the two lead guys are very funny together and like i view that show as like my freaks and geeks where like i had so many talented people and unfortunately we had a one and done kind of run but there's so many people that i'm going back to to try and kind of create new shows or projects with and um i almost feel indebted to them to go like hey let me let me get some other stuff going for you because we missed the mark a little bit and i learned a lot became a showrunner but um now I have access to all these kind of great people. So I think it's on, mm-hmm. I mean, it's probably on Amazon and iTunes and stuff, or I can just send it to you. Yeah. What, what's yeah. the, what's oh, the name? Uh, I don't think I caught the name. I'm sorry. It was uh, Let's Get Physical, which since then, oh, since yeah. we made it, Apple TV has made um, a show That's about right. the woman yeah. who started aerobics, which is a fascinating story. Like, the quick version of that, because we tried to work it into our show a little bit, but probably not well. But aerobics was started by uh, an Air Force colonel who was like trying to put calisthenics into the military, and the soldiers thought it was too sissy. So he pivoted and started doing these exercises to military housewives um, in Dallas or around Texas, and it just took off. And like these women, it was like part of this like female empowerment movement and they started opening their own studios. And um, at the time, I guess going to gyms was like very misogynistic and women were afraid to go because they would get groped or hit on. So aerobics became their thing and became this huge movement that just took off. So the whole story of it is awesome. So, so here's a question. Did you do aerobics? <laughs> yeah, yeah we, I had to <laughs> learn a little bit of it. Um, yeah, and we had to kind of... It was an all hands on deck, you know, trying to uh, do the choreography. So we all had to do a little bit of it, but it's not easy. Did you love it? <laughs> it's it's not easy, but it, I actually really love aerobics. Just yeah. saying. <laughs> um, we watched like all of those old Crystal Light. If you've seen those like classic internet videos where they're in this, this spandex and we watched all of those. But now we use so much 80s music. Uh, in our show that it's like I get like PTSD if I hear certain song, like aerobic songs like if it comes on in a store <laughs> I'm like I gotta I gotta get out of here <laughs> like I'm getting flashbacks um, yeah I can never hear uh, girls just want to have fun ever again in my life without running out of a room wow <laughs> wow well fun fact I'm gonna play it right <laughs> now no I'm kidding oh <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, all right, wow. I did, yeah, I was I was totally shocked when I saw you were you were shooting the show in Halifax. That's fun. It's such a it is. It's 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 you got Maine and then you go further out north, up and over, and it's 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 out there. Um, how fun! All right, so the, so the, so you worked on that, and then like, what's your what's your next step from there? Well. Next step, like I, the stories that like inspired me to, there was some comedies early, but like I was always about the action adventure stuff and the bigger franchise stuff. So now I'm really taking my time to figure out how to break into the action world with some bigger ideas. And I'm um, currently writing a movie for Bruce Road, which, 
I wish. Bruce Willis. <laughs> I feel like I was waiting happens, for that. I feel up. like he's. If that, Connor, it, yeah. if that happens, please, like, call me and let me just, like, stand on the side and, like, be the coffee yeah. guy or some, or anything. Please, please don't lose my number. Deal. I mean, he's pumping out a lot of action movies these days. But, um, yeah, yeah, he's pumping out something. Some of them. <laughs> he needs, he needs like the, um, someone to come in and give him the Nicolas Cage treatment. Like, here's what you're really good at, but you need something yes. to get yourself back on the map in a good way. Cause he's so talented and he's still like yes. a great leading man, but he needs a, a legit, good, weird action role to get it, to plant his flag again. Yeah. You guys got any pitches? Yes. The way you just said it right now is so perfect because Nicolas Cage is so good at being a Nicolas Cage that when you watch these new movies, you're just like, this is what you want Nicolas oh, Cage yeah. in. And that's how it should be for everybody. So the fact that you said that just blew my mind because I never thought about that. And that's such a great connection for yeah, sure. It's like when I saw Mandy, I was like, oh, this is such a fantastic story. And Nicolas Cage is going to make a huge comeback after this. And now he's done some great weird ones. Pig was fantastic. Like if, if anyone's Pig yeah, was awesome. Such a great movie. Not what I expected, but so good. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah I, I, so you should make an action movie oh, with yeah. him. Con Air yes. 2. <laughs> oh, oh. Con Air 2, but we'll call it yeah. Connor. Con Air 2. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're making these days. I mean, we're rebooting everything. Yeah, I've always I always thought it was a huge miss that Hollywood somehow never got Bruce <clears throat> Bruce and and Nicolas Cage in a movie together like that that should have happened at some point I felt right yeah yes yes I, I'm surprised because one is so understated and the straight man and one is just so over the top and that dynamic would be so fun <laughs> like you do need a face off kind of setup. Um, where they're yes. just playing off of each other. So if you have pitches, I can get them to the right people. <laughs> oh, there we go. We'll do, uh, hey. we should do uh, The Rock, the rock yeah. 2, Rock Uncle Harder. Dad, <laughs> Uncle Dad Talks Presents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you know what? That would blow Mike's yeah. mind. <laughs> it's blowing right now. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> so what... So let me ask you that when you, so since you're, so you're a writer and you've written so many things, I mean, I remember, uh, I don't know, it was in 2013 or somewhere around there, you were writing these books where you had people going on these kind of scavenger hunts and, and you had, we, there was like this party yeah. you invited me to at some mansion where people were coming to get their yeah. treasure pieces, right? Like what? Will you remind me of what that exactly that was? Because I remember it being so fascinating, but also I was at a party, so I wasn't fully paying attention to what. No, it was, <laughs> it was it a was. fun. It was a fun party. Yeah, typical Mike. The, it was the a quick backstories, but yeah, my sister, who is like my muse, she's a hairdresser in San Francisco uh, at Edo Salon. Um, if anyone needs a mullet, she's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Dude, I'm, I actually I'm, I'm, want to get yeah. a mullet, so yeah, I'm me being, too. Go get a mullet. We need mullets. Gilded razors. Oh my god, are yeah. we are we gonna become the mullet brothers, Mike? Let's do it. Yeah, mullet brothers. My sister went into some esoteric bookshop and found this book that was about the history of playing cards. And there's actually this really like mystical origin story um, that a lot of people have written about. 
there's just like this whole divination process behind the cards and why they have four suits and the numbers and it's all linked to astrology so i kind of took that and indiana jones was always my biggest that was my you know i do have like lord of the rings tattoos but um indiana jones was i think the first thing that just blew my mind seeing that third one when i was a kid so i'm always trying to chase that high of like recreating it or finding things that are like indiana jones so i buckled down and uh kind of wrote a self-published book and I think when you're in Hollywood, you kind of, for your own sanity, you got to do one for the machine. Like that's what I, I call Hollywood, like the content machine. And then you got to do one for yourself where there's no notes. There's no bureaucracy. You're not trying to sell it. You're just putting something cool out into the world. So I wrote this book that I need to go back and rewrite. Um, and then had this really cool artist. I can't remember his name. I think it's Scintillant Studios. He was like a bronze worker in San Francisco. I had a maid make these like bronze playing cards and then i went and hit them all over the bay area and just said hey if you've read the book there's clues in here go find them and it like blew up it got a bunch of press in the local bay area and then everyone that won got invited to this kind of old historic mansion and we had a party and i think i gave away like five grand that night i think for whoever like whoever's just... deck whoever's card got pulled out of the deck so it was just a fun, it was wow. just a fun thing to do for, you know, cool people in the Bay Area. But um, I got the treasure hunt itch again. I'm going to, I'm going to do another one soon. Please invite both yeah. of us this time. <laughs> yeah, but Mike, I remember you coming. Yeah. We, we went out afterwards and stayed out uh, with the, the other artist buddy, Brandon. That's right. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. Um, good time. So you you i just want to ask like being a writer are you always kind of writing or are you able to turn it off like are you kind of critiquing movies and, and, and books when you read them or are you able to enjoy them as it is like what's that like for you as such a writer yeah yeah that's a good question it's comedy is harder like if you've seen um what's the woody allen movie midnight in paris do you remember that quote mm. when Hemingway is talking about reading other writers' books? He's like, if it's good, I'm going to hate it. And if it's bad, I'm going to hate it. And that's kind of how I view comedy. Like, I watch Rick and Morty and I love it, but it's like, I could never write like this. I could never write something that's a masterpiece. So you are a little resentful or envious, like what I was talking about earlier. But um, comedy is harder for me to watch and not have my structure critiquing brain on there or thinking about how would I would have crafted that joke or that scene. But I don't really watch a lot of comedy. I watch more of the action drama, you know, I'm really into foreign crime thrillers right now, which I just think that they're making Ooh. some great ones. Um, yeah, like Gomorra. Have you ever seen Gomorra? <laughs> it's like one of the most underrated I, shows. I know of yeah. it, yeah. So... Yeah, Gamora. but that's where I'm really... Gamora on HBO Max. Italian crime drama. Five seasons just ended so good. Um, now, are you, can I ask you, are you into horror? Yeah, not... That's probably my least active genre of what I watch. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> But what's crazy is, so in Hollywood, the only things that are consistently making money at the box office are horror movies. And then the big... Oh, yeah marvel tenpole stuff so yeah. it i probably at some point if i want to keep making or start making movies probably should think about horror 
You should do a horror action movie with John, uh, uh, not John McClane, with Bruce Willis and uh, Nicolas yeah. Cage. Well, <laughs> with a guest appearance of Christopher Walken. The, the, <laughs> yeah, I guess how I big is your budget? Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> and then have The Rock just do the intro. <laughs> the, the movie that I'm working on now, it's been an insane process, but uh, there's a, a really good friend of mine who's a dock worker in Oakland. And he also is one of these guys that like gives me, you know, it, when you're a writer, you get pitches from all over the place. Some of them are really good. Like the yeah. joke in my family is my brother's a doctor and he gets the rashes and I get the bad pitches. So like people pull him aside at a party and like, Hey, can you check this weird rash out? But I get, I get, <laughs> I get pulled aside I get pulled aside to get like, hey, I got a really good movie pitch or reality show pitch. Um, but my buddy, who's a doc worker, did give me a good one. And it, basically the gist of it is that there's a tech billionaire and he uh, just sold his company, took it public. He's renting out a whole ski mountain, think like Tahoe. He uh, hires a drug dealer from Reno to kind of buy a bunch of cocaine. They're flying it in. They hit a blizzard falls into a hibernating grizzly bear grizzly bear wakes up and eats the drugs and the drug dealer and then the grizzly bear is addicted to cocaine so we wrote this <laughs> and we called it the, we called it the grizz and we wrote this years ago and like had it out and about and then it happened in real life and there's a competing project right now so there's actually another wow. cocaine bear movie being made before ours which like we thought it was the most original idea we've ever had <laughs> But now, hey, um, I, yeah. I have to interject really quick. I was at a store today, very briefly, like a, like a gift store, and there was a coaster, and I thought it was funny, and it was a bear with snow all over its face, and it said, I fucking love cocaine. <laughs> and now we're talking about <laughs> bears and cocaine. What the? Yeah. The universe is always listening. I say yeah. that all the time. Yeah. You're right, yeah. brother. That's a, that's a weird <laughs> coincidence. Yeah. It yeah, is. You never had you never had mixed cocaine and bears ever before, but now that it's all over the place, it it could be from mm. this movie that's going to come out, and hopefully ours still has a a, a heartbeat um, because they're very different. The other true life version was a guy in Kentucky, I think back in the eighties, was putting cocaine into a bear to smuggle it across state lines. And then the cocaine broke open. The, the article is called Pablo Escobar. And, <laughs> and so these two other writers got the rights to that story and wrote another one. And they were just further along than us in the development process. But um, hopefully there's a universe where we can have two cocaine bear projects and put them head to head. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Count me in I for always, that for sure. I always <laughs> thought it would be fun. I was a big Yogi Bear fan. Uh, I always thought it'd be fun to have like a, a Yogi Bear co- <laughs> cocaine episode. You know, on Adult Swim, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like you could probably get, retrofit that. Like you could do like a, you know, you get some of the clips and do the voiceover and do your own version. But yeah. Yeah. That would be a fun remix to do. I'm on board. I might, I'll help you I might hit that. you up for, yeah. I was just gonna say I might hit you up for some for some script uh, help and punch ups and stuff like that. Yeah. So I I want to talk about this this next venture that I know you're doing and I think it's 
really interesting. And I'm also really curious about more about like what it actually is. So there's something out there called Mighty Networks. That's something that's already existing, right? Yeah, that's a platform where you can basically create your own subscription-based social media sites that are all private. Mm-hmm. And so you're going you're through that, you're creating your own kind of social media site called Only Writers. And, and you're going on there as a creative coach? Yeah, I'm going to, I mean, there's a lot of things that have led to this and one of the big things that has brought me to this venture is um, just kind of 10 years of, of like emotional pain of like trying to get things made in Hollywood and having people in my life know that I'm a writer and not understanding the business fully and get it, you get it, like the stars and planets have to align for you to get a movie or a show made like perfect timing and everything. So I've the last 10 years, I've I got very lucky with workaholics and I tried to get lucky again and didn't have a lot to show for it and didn't put a lot of uh, release, a lot of my own stuff like you do every day, Michael, you're putting out comic books and artwork every day. So for me, I, I got into Hollywood with this more scrappy DIY shoot your own stuff approach. And I want to get back to that and how I do that. I think is by building a collective of writers um, and getting a bunch of people in there and teaching them this kind of strategy of like you do one for the big content machine that you try to sell and then you do one to kind of promote yourself. And so it's going to be group coaching. I'll offer like uh, individual coaching. There's tons of my courses on there. Um, it uh, Can I say something super graphic? <laughs> That's the, okay. Yes, please. Yes, please. So, okay. Yeah. So the course that I'm offering on there is called the worm ball. Right. And that uncle that I was talking about earlier, um, who is insane, but also genius. When I sold my first show, he took me out to kind of a celebratory dinner and he's kind of a dangerous guy, but he had a few margaritas and he was like, he's like, what the fuck? He's like, you think you're hot shit? Huh? He's like, you don't know. You don't know what's coming. Cause he had been a Hollywood veteran for years he's like do you want to know what fucking hollywood is it's a worm ball and i was like what is that he's basically like when there's bad weather or bad soil all the worms burrow into this giant mutating ball and they're all trying to fight their way to the center where it's safest he's like that's what fucking hollywood is but here's the crazy part worms are hermaphrodites so they have pussies and dicks so everyone on their fight to the center is just fucking each other over then when you get further in <laughs> He's like, there's no more access to food because there's no more soil. So you have to survive by eating other people's shit on your fight to the center. He's like, so basically at the end of the day, Hollywood is just one big incestual shit eating fuck fest. Are you ready for that? And I was like, blew my mind, right? <laughs> blew my mind. <laughs> blew my mind. <laughs> and then I go through. I think he yeah, had a lot of. Then I go through 10 years of time to think about. He had a lot of time to think about that in prison, I think. To put that together, <laughs> just like that. Yeah, this is actually pre-prison, uh, which is even oh. scarier <laughs> that he still had oh, time yeah, to think about. <laughs> but Ooh. then I, I, I went through 10 years of being a working writer in Hollywood and, you know, building these packages and trying to sell stuff and 
dealing with egos and fear and the clusterfuck of it all. And like, I kind of came to this revolution. I was like, uh, revelation. I was like, that is 100% accurate. And anyone that has had a career in Hollywood will attest to that. So I've built this very not safe for work masterclass that kind of lays that all out, lays out the power structure of Hollywood, gets you to pop all those like delusional dream bubbles. It gets, it breaks down like how much money you'll actually make. So if kids that are coming behind me and entering this worm ball, um, you know, I want to give them the best tools available. And I, there's such a lack of mentorship in Hollywood that that's kind of what I want to be. I want to be like the tough love big brother to a lot of these really talented kids that are coming up and to go, look, if you're going to do this and if you're committed like I was in my early 20s, here's what you have to know. And here's like wisdom from the trenches. That's really what the community is going to be. And as we grow in size, like I'm going to start figuring out a way to start releasing our own um, content and yeah and helping kids put more stuff out into the world um so they can get swooped up by the worm ball i'm taken for a ride (laughs) i think i'm gonna uh i want to i want to illustrate the worm ball for you (laughs) i have a vision of what that looks like yeah i will take you up on that 100 percent. you are a masterful (laughs) artist and yeah, we could do a we could do a comic book, a self help comic book for. Oh, like I like R, that idea. I like that idea. It's like an R rated uh, war of art. <laughs> yeah, um, can I ask another? Fast? So well, I, oh, go ahead, buddy. I just say that's a, that's the second time today I've never heard of the war <laughs> of art, and someone and I've heard it twice in the same day now. That yeah, book, well, the war I, of art. When I just yeah, I just wrote about you on Instagram, and I kind of described you i mean you might not even need to read it because you're living it like you're the person that's living it more than anyone that i know i mean you are just putting art out into the world but it's written by uh this fantastic author stephen pressfield who's written a bunch of books used to be a screenwriter kind of like a struggling failed screenwriter started writing books and then he wrote this creative manifesto called the war of art it's only about 125 pages but for anyone that is getting into writing or creating that is the best first book to read. Mm, okay, I'm gonna read it. So, hey, what, what I wanted to also th- there's something that, that that so you made this really elaborate post on uh, Facebook or Instagram, one of those, uh, you know, about yeah. only writers, and that you were leaving. You're actually leaving Instagram, Facebook, all these the, the mainstream social medias sites. And I thought one of the things that you said was really interesting how you know, it's a way for us all to kind of watch which, what we're doing and promote ourselves. But it's also interesting that they're using everything that we post to figure out how to market towards us across yeah. everything we do on the internet. And it's really sick. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, I, I really struggle with some of the big tech stuff and being from San Francisco, born and raised and seeing how that's changed the culture of the city where I was born and the amount of money. And like, I, I just really question whether or not we need all of it. Um, and then I have this, like, I am an avid reader. So I've read a lot of these books, like Irresistible by Adam Alter, Digital Minimalism. Obviously, a lot of people have seen Social Dilemma, that documentary. Um, Homo Deus by Yuval Noah Harari. Like, I have this whole Escape the Matrix pack 
uh, of books that have kind of led me to the decision that I can no longer ethically support some of these big platforms. Totally understand why um, some people need it to sell their artwork, to promote themselves, to make content, to become an influencer, like all for it. But for me, I just, I, I do think social media is very powerful, but the platforms that we're using aren't community, right? it's not a real community it's you're broadcasting to people and allowing a little bit of interaction in the comment box but i want to build a real community with like uh, support systems and curated feeds and content and guidelines and i think that there's power there and i i think this you know as people start to question the bigger platforms i think places like money networks are only going to grow mm -hmm. so if you have if you have like a niche interest, like for you guys, the, you know, the comic book art, Mike, like you can start these platforms and all of the tools are there and they're pretty inexpensive and it looks beautiful. What about podcasting? Yeah, courses, there's, you can do anything. It's all, anything that you can do on all the other social media platforms is all embedded. It's, it's really cool. So I'm excited about this and, um, Hopefully we'll get it up and running in another month or two and get some OG, you know, get a hundred members in there to join and then we're going to build slowly. Maybe we got to figure out some kind of treasure hunt, um, give away mm. a script or something. I don't know. You guys got any ideas? Need to figure out a way to launch it. You can sponsor the show. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> oh. Deal. Yeah. We and can, then we uh, can talk about it all the time on the show. We can, uh, we can make uh, a special hat for you. That's the only writer's logo. And then uh -huh. behind the pocket behind the patch could have like a special card that has a clue to do something somewhere. I don't there know. I, I feel like there's something there. Yeah. There's something uh, there. Yeah. Um, you can tie all three of us. Think yeah. about this. You're promoted on the show. Yeah. He makes the hat. Inside of it, he draws the yeah. card. Boom. You just got everything in one yeah. little thing. Squeeze, squeeze in a worm orgy on that card, and we're good Boom. to go. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yep, you got everything. <laughs> You're also doing this thing that I've never seen done before, and the way you do it, it's, it's so great because it's, it's your writing style – and you're also honoring these people that, that you care about and that you follow and that you're friends with and they've made an impact on your life as you're, you're, you're so you're going to exit Instagram, Facebook, you're going to go off of those. You're going to go on to only writers, but as you're exiting, you're, you're giving each person a shout out and then you unfollow them or you unfriend them and then they're gone from your social media. It's such a, I mean, it's such a, I, I think that's only, it's like something I would see in a movie. I don't know. Like the way you're doing it is so poetic. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm calling it the long goodbye. And I just wanted to kind of slowly phase out of being on all these platforms and, you know, find another outlet, find this community and start doing uh, my own version of a podcast or start making, you know, more YouTube stuff. But what's funny is like from, day one when I was like when I came up with the long goodbye I was like I gotta start with someone really cool I was like I gotta start with someone that they can like look up and go down a rabbit hole and I gotta just like come out of the gate strong and you were the first pick <laughs> from from the beginning which you messaged me before I even did it and um it was just cool it was very magical timing
Yeah, I feel like we <laughs> that keeps happening with us. Like even this, even in this uh, talk on this podcast episode, it, like the, the the timing of certain things. It's, it's funny. I love it when things work out like that, and I always feel like when the when the universe shows those little doors for you to kind of pay attention and and follow that thread because it's it's happening for a reason i don't know maybe i'm getting too no, hippie I, uh you know, no i no i i feel that it's like it's i think it's signs that your life is on track and you're doing what you need to be doing like if you're getting those signs so i agree yeah. so so you say maybe in about another month i mean right now it's 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 the beginning of march so um where you're looking at in April of 2022, at some point, hopefully, the, the first launch of Only Writers. Yeah, hopefully. Um, right now, I'm interviewing all of my much more famous, successful writer-director friends. Um, I just have built such a massive network in Hollywood, and so I'm doing these Zoom interviews now that are short, 30 minutes, like practical tools and takeaways for all the writers that are going to join from all of the people that are making great stuff right now um and i just yeah i feel like i i do love creating but i also feel like i'm a better mentor ghostwriter consultant and helping other people formulate their ideas and that's that's always been my skill set you know more than like i have something to say about the world and this is how i'm going to do it so like uh, I like being behind the scenes. This is only the second podcast I've ever been on. <laughs> oh, wow. well, this is the You're best one. <clears throat> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what do you think? What do you think makes a good writer? That is a good question. Um, first, I would say being an interesting person, and I know that sounds like an obvious, but. A lot of comedy writers that I meet are like, I think you have two different paths. You either like regurgitating pop culture and those are the people that like come up with funny shit to say on Twitter or it's like this meets that. It's like the family guy humor, which, you know, it is hilarious, but it's not for me. And I think then you also have storytellers. You see like a comedian like Chappelle, who is a storyteller, like they're not just up there telling jokes. They are moving you in a profound way and also making you laugh. So... I think the biggest mistake that a lot of writers make is they're just not interesting people. They haven't traveled the world. They haven't made big mistakes. They haven't done interesting things. They don't really have a well of stories to pull from. Um, and they're just addicted to pop culture and watching other people's stuff. And so they're kind of just doing a different version of the same thing. Um, so I really glob on to storytellers, people that are interesting and you know, want to infuse a lot of their own life into the stories that they're telling. That's hard to find. It's pretty rare. That is, yeah. Yeah, and there's definitely an art to doing it well, um, right? Like, anyone can tell a story of what happened to them yesterday. Oh, this crazy thing happened, but the way you frame it and how you, you know, reveal the main part of it, like, it's, it, it is an art, even in, even in a conversation, I feel like, uh, when you're telling a friend a story, like, there's an art to how you, to how you say it. And you can definitely feel when someone does it well, it, it's so much more impactful. Yeah, you're always, you're kind of moving like a director. You're kind of always moving the focus to different parts, like pay attention to this. And I need you to pay attention to this. And it's, uh, it's hard to do. But when it's done well, I mean, storytelling, the entire world is made up of stories. <laughs> it's like, it's all we have. It's the fabric of our entire existence. And when film 
NTV works really well. It's one of the most powerful art forms because it's so many layers of art, right? It's like music and lighting and set design and architecture and costume and acting. And it's like all of those layers have to hit. And when they do, it's just really powerful. And I think movies are really struggling right now, but when you see something like Dune, where all of those layers worked, you're just like this, why can't we have this every day? Um, it's hard to do. And it takes so many it's years. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Cause when I watched Dune, I remember looking to my friend at the time and I was like, they do not make movies like this anymore with that type of production value, that type of um, feeling and that type of uh, like the costume design is on, is amazing. And you don't see that anymore. And I think sci-fi was such a huge home for that. And it kind of disappeared, you know, yeah, you know, it, it is the Marvel world, which is fine or the superhero world. Uh, but I do completely agree with what you're saying when it comes to the, like that, that authenticity of a, a type of a movie, like you don't get that anymore. And I'm glad you feel that way because I know for sure Dune blew my mind for that reason. Yeah. So yeah, good, good you call You have that. to be a force, right? Because what's so hard about becoming a really good storyteller is you have to learn the craft of story. You have to get good at writing stories and telling stories. And that takes 10 years, right? And then when you start trying to sell them and make them, you have to become so good uh, like managing people and emotions because w what happens in Hollywood is most of the executives uh, it's a very fear driven culture so they start as assistants and they don't make mistakes and they get promoted a little bit and they don't make mistakes at the next level and they get promoted a little bit so by the time you're going in to convince the people to give you money to make a story they're like terrified of making a mistake so you have to have such a completely sound and detailed vision to convince them to trust you and that's it's really 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 hard to do and that's why so many movies fall apart because people compromise a little bit and they let the fear sink in and then changes are made and it doesn't feel authentic anymore so only the powerhouses can do it well and you know it's interesting it's interesting that movies are, have been overall struggling but tv i feel like has had its you know, resurgence of really good writing. And I don't know if you remember this, Connor, but when we first kind of hung out after, because I met, let's just so the listeners know, I met you at APE, which is called, which was abbreviated for Alternative Press Expo, which is a comic convention in San Francisco for like alternative press and indie comics and underground comics. And um, I had done a print of like a fan art print of the Workaholics. And that's what, uh, drove Connor over to my table in my booth and, and we started talking about that, you know, he was, he wrote the show and, you know, I kind of geeked out and didn't know what to say. And, uh, but the first time we actually hung out after that, you, I hadn't watched TV in a long time. I had like kind of stopped watching television and I was at your, your writing studio or something off of Lucas Valley road. And you had this huge map on the wall of Lord of the Rings. And you were like, this yeah. is the Lord of the Rings map, and this is this and that. And I was staring at it like, I don't know what the hell this is. Like, I've never even <laughs> watched an episode. You're like, no, no, I'm sorry, not Lord of the Rings. Um, um, I think it was Game of Thrones, yeah. Game of Thrones, yeah. thank you, sorry. Hello, yeah. you who. Um, <laughs> Game of Thrones, you're like, you've never seen Game of Thrones? And I was like, I don't really watch TV. And he's like, you were like, you've never seen an episode of Breaking Bad? And I was like, no. And you, were, you looked at me like, Wow. <laughs> So I think the next week or two, I got sick 
and I was sitting at home and I couldn't do anything and I had Netflix. And so I was like, let me try this breaking bad situation. That show was one of my, I mean, that show <laughs> blew my mind. One of the, I think one of the best well-written shows I've ever seen still to this day. I mean, I love better call Saul. Like anyways, you had a profound uh, impact on me getting into watching TV again, and, but watching it for the, for the writing aspect, which changes the way you watch things, you know, if you, when you yeah. watch it mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. the good writing, as opposed to the flashiness and just the actor or actress who's in it. Right. Did, did you not grow up with television? Like we weren't allowed to. No, watch I did, television? but <laughs> no, I did. But I think there was just a point where I, I think Burning Man had a lot to do with it. And, um, I just stopped yeah. watching TV. I just was, I was just into more of my art and traveling and being an artist on the road and, and I don't have time for television, <laughs> but, but there's some really good stuff out there. And anyways, uh, you kind of like looking at me like I was an alien and had something on my face kind of, <laughs> maybe I should give television a chance. So thank oh, you. Great. Do you want to go, do you want to go back to that moment though and take all your years back of, of binge watching and wasted time? Or are you happy with yeah, uh, being a, a casual <laughs> TV fan. Yeah. You know, there's, there's some things I, I, I wish I didn't binge watch, but you know, it's like once you're in it, you're like, well, I got to finish this thing now. I'm, I'm in it. Although, uh, I did, I did do, uh, Ozark and Ozark is also very great. I think so. Yeah. Anyways, they're actually going to, yes. they're actually moving away from the binge model, uh, as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I saw that because they're, they're basically the, word of mouth uh, campaign is not as strong. So they're, I think what they're really trying to perfect, and you see Apple doing this, is releasing episodes in kind of clusters, right? And it allows people to do a little mini binge, talk about it with their friends, post about it, share about it. And it kind of helps spread the word of mouth marketing <clears throat> because with Netflix shows, people will just binge it in a weekend, not talk about it and jump to the next binge. So I think yeah. even the concept of binging is going to change with new shows. I need to ask when you're talking about television and great written television, what's your thoughts about the wire? I think it's number one for me. Um, yeah. Good. That's all I wanted to hear. That's all I needed. Yeah. I think I've watched. <laughs> Cause I always get so mad when anybody says, Oh, it's not that great. It's like, Oh, you're out of your mind. <laughs> this is, that is the story of America from top to bottom yep. that could have been set in any city and felt roughly the same. The amount of detail that those two showrunners put into it, the amount of personal experience that they put into it is just, mm -hmm. it's fantastic. I mean, it still holds up. I've watched it. I, I watch yeah. it through every few years and it's, it's fantastic. And just think about, I, what I love is like when you make something that good, it becomes a springboard for all of those people. Like when you go back and watch The Wire mm -hmm. and you see all of those actors have gone into huge careers. Like that's, yeah. I think that's the best gift that you can give as a storyteller is by creating jobs and like careers for other people. That's kind of what, like why I still wake up in the morning because I've had some feeling of that with my shows, but I want to do it over and over again of like creating platforms for people to jump off to that's awesome that's that's so incredible well we hope that um only writers can help you know be that be that kind of springboard um you know and and kudos to you for for taking that route i mean it's it's uh 
it takes, I mean, anytime you're starting something new, uh, I mean, it takes guts and I, I just, I commend you for, for what you're doing with that, Connor, and especially with the things that you've done and that you've created and worked on in, in entertainment, uh, to help other people, I think is, is, uh, a very fulfilling way to, to go about your life. So, uh, I wish you, Thank you so much success. And, um, so, so how do people find, find out about this? Do they just go to onlywriters.com or is there like another way to get to it once it's, once it's up and running? Yeah, well, it's, it's going to be up and running soon and I'll, I'll be on, um, Facebook and Instagram kind of talking about it for the next few months before I fully phase out. I got a lot of friends to say goodbye to. You were just the start. <laughs> so I still right. got to work my way through a lot of people. Um, so I'll be on Instagram uh, for a while if anyone wants to follow along there. But then as I get the platform up and running, because it's a private community, I got to start figuring out ways to make content outside of that. So I think I'm going to start uh, doing a YouTube channel and um, – something within the world of story talking about story um and all of that so whether that's podcast or youtube tbd but something's coming something good the warm ball yeah awesome the warm ball indeed (laughs) so so people can can stay in tune and follow what where you're going to go and how to find the next step of all of this on your your Facebook is Connor Pritchard. Your Instagram, what's your Instagram handle? How do you? I think it's just at Connor Pritchard. Um, and my okay. nickname there is the Barbarian Librarian. That's my name on Instagram because I post a lot of book content, which doesn't get any likes, but I, uh, I put them out there for the three people that like reading still. <laughs> and what and what does get uh, the most likes? Uh that's a good question. I think anything, um, what has gotten a lot of likes recently? I started spamming, um, like when I get spam messages, um, I started trolling them back and getting into conversations. So uh, I've posted some of those. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, a lot of stuff with my, my pops too. If I post anything with my pops, cause he's still hilarious character. (laughs) <laughs> if, any, if anyone wants awesome. to see him he's in the documentary called the happy movie where they literally featured him as one of the happiest people in the world and it's true um wow. <laughs> he goes around <laughs> the world talking to kids and um they featured him in a documentary about it so he always he always gets the likes did you ever feel like part of what made you want to become a writer and not become a doctor like your brother looking at people's rashes was to kind of impress <laughs> your father in a sense I, I've talked about this with my my wife, who's a life coach. Yeah, I don't think that the, you know, I, I know that there's probably some core wound territory there, but I, I don't think I ever had the, like, um, impress my dad uh, wound. I I actually treat my, I actually bully my dad. <laughs> so he goes around the world uh, <laughs> talking to kids, <laughs> telling kids not to bully each other, and I bully him. I'm like my dad's older brother (laughs) (laughs) i keep him in check because he's he's a big dude he's a big dude and he needs to stay in shape so i'm his like uh fitness coach personal trainer and all that stuff so i I keep big big poppy in check he quick story i know we're gonna go in a second but my brother and i Mm -hmm. this is this will go in the family book 
uh, my dad had a heart attack because he was very overweight and he kept, uh, we kept giving him personal trainers, right? And he would break these guys. So he would start to counsel them, start to coach them, find out what was wrong with them. And then eventually they would stop working out and they would start going to lunch. So he did this to like three badass motherfuckers. And we we're like, okay, the only people that can get our dad back in shape is my brother and I. So we moved home for a little while, started walking him to the gym. He lost a hundred pounds and got very, you know, somewhat healthy again. And then he started saying he was going to the gym on his own and we believed him. And then my mom caught him. He was driving away, going up the street, parking in a parking lot, turning the heat on full blast in the middle of summer until he was sweating in the car and then coming back and saying that he worked out. <laughs> oh my God. So we Whoa, caught him. Oh, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> I say that's yeah, genius. Kind of, kind of genius. <laughs> I mean, um, next time you have going a, back a to family. Your, yeah. uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Going back to your question, I think it was always like, I think it was less about trying to impress any family member and more about the community that I watched my parents build uh through comedy and being like mm. wow this is like what a circus a good circus feels like all of these comedians sleeping over at your couch everything's always fun everything's always funny so it's more about rebuilding that magic than trying to beat anyone yeah yeah i think well i, I would love to uh, yeah I mean, it sounds great. I would love to come to one of your, your family holiday gatherings and watch one of your dad's horrible B-movies and uh, <laughs> maybe get a mullet cut and get my rash checked out all in, all in one, <laughs> yeah. one day. Oh, that sounds a like a party for sure. Right yeah. That is awesome, <laughs> totally, man. What yes. a good recap. Yeah. Mullets, mullets rashes, yes. and comedy. That's the title of the episode. There you go. Yeah, there you go. I think it is. <laughs> Connor, well, man, it's been a real pleasure yeah. to, uh, to talk to you and, and get to know you more and, uh, and, and listen to your stories. I, I, I feel like we could keep going and going. So maybe we'll, uh, after some time, yeah, after yeah. Uh, Only Writers has been out there, we'll have you back on to talk about, talk about it and, and, and keep it going. Would, would love to come back. It was a pleasure. And um, I'm not joking here. If you got Bruce Willis pitches, let's, let's get one going. Okay. Send him my way. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm doing let's it. Make some magic. I want to hear some Mike's Bruce B-movie Willis pitches, magic. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, thank yeah. you so much. Thank uh, you, Connor. guys. Good luck with everything. Talk soon. Absolutely. Talk soon. Take care. Okay. <laughs>